Well, again, good morning and welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Greg. I'm one of the co-lead pastors here. It is delightful to see all of you, be around you, bump into you, all the things we get to do when we're actually around each other. Uh, And we're also deeply thankful for those of you who are joining us online that we still continue to find ways to connect. And so uh, all that to say, we're just happy that you're here with us in any way you can be. Uh, Let's pray. God, I give you great thanks for this day and for your presence with us. I ask that you gather us, speak to us, bring us together so we can hear uh, as your people gathered about who you are. And that we wouldn't just hear about who you are, but we would get to know who you are. In this space, in this time, God, would you speak to us? We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, we are in week four of a sermon series entitled Jesus Said, and, and Brian mentioned earlier that we've gone into this season of ordinary time um, in between Christmas tide and Lent and Easter, um, and uh, it's kind of, you know, when we say ordinary time, it, it, what it really just means is that we're not in one of the, like the big kind of holiday seasons or the big in the church calendar, these big seasons that sort of uh, give it some rhythm. And so this is some of that in-between time. And so when I think about it, I often think this is like the day-to-day time. This is like the moment-to-moment, breath-to-breath, second-by-second, the getting up, brushing my teeth kind of time. But sometimes in those times, we tend to just go on autopilot. We don't really think so much about maybe what Jesus is saying or where Jesus is present or how Jesus is moving in our midst. And so we wanted to take this time and really allow Jesus space to speak uh, in the midst of that and maybe see what that did to to the rhythm that we're in. Uh, And so today uh, we're going to continue this. We've been looking at Luke. We're going to look at Luke 7, 18 through 35. If you have your Bible, you can open it up. Follow along there, or the verses will also be up on the screen for you. Uh, And if you're on our online platform, uh, you can find those. uh, There's a tab there, a Bible tab, that will also give you access to this. So this is Luke 7, 18 through 35. It says this. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who, you, who will prepare the way, prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. 
All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. Jesus went on to say, to what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? Well, they're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine and you say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and you say here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. So I don't know if you've ever walked into a room, maybe show up at a party a little bit late, and you walk in and it's clear there's been discussion going on that you really wished you would have like been there for just maybe two minutes more of the conversation. Because you walk in and you're like, I don't know what's going on. When we start this passage, right, and it starts with this phrase, um, John's disciples told him about all these things. Well, first of all, we don't know what all these things are. Right? And really, what's been going on with John's disciples? We haven't actually heard a lot from John or his disciples. In fact, uh, John's disciples are only mentioned in Luke in chapter 5, where their behavior and practices is being compared to Jesus' disciples. Um, and we haven't heard from John since chapter 3, where he's imprisoned. Before that, he was featured fairly heavily in chapters 1 and chapter 3. And so we catch up with him now. Like I said, he's in prison. And he's in prison because he rebuked Herod. Now, Herod, as we've talked about, is this, uh, he's sort of a business-minded king. Uh, Business-minded is not the right word. Uh, But he's really looking out for himself in in all the things that he does. He's a client king of Rome. And so Rome's installed him uh, and and. No one really is happy about it. But John decides, this is the person who I'm going to rebuke. I'm going to confront him. And he confronts him because he married his brother's wife, Herodias, and then did a bunch of other evil things around that. And so Herod said, okay, you rebuke me, I'll arrest you, put you in prison. And John, I think, is fairly confident at this point that this is probably his end. Right? He knows Herod. He knows kind of what's happening. Um, and so my guess is John's fairly aware that he's going to die, right? This is, this is his end. So in this moment, his disciples come back and report some things to John, right? That's the all these things. Now, the all these things, there's a lot of them, um, and some of them may or may not be. The first one is maybe that Jesus' temptation. Now, I don't know if that story was available to them. I don't know if Jesus told people about that. We have it recorded by Luke, but this is quite a ways after Jesus. So I don't know if that one's in there or not, but it could be. Uh, we also have Jesus teaching. It says he's teaching in all the synagogues. He's teaching all around. Okay. Then Jesus is rejected at Nazareth. And this might be the first one that for John is going to feel a little off. Because if you remember, Jesus, uh, at this point, uh, the people tried to throw Jesus off a cliff um, because of what he was teaching. At first they were all amazed, then they tried to throw him off a cliff. Um, We have Jesus driving out impure spirits. Uh, Then we have Jesus talking about his teaching is unique because it has authority and power and the words that he's saying. Um, are are changing people. Jesus heals a ton of people, lots of people all around. Um, Jesus then calls his own disciples, 
right? And so at this point, there might be people following him, but we didn't have this identification of disciples or apostles as Jesus actually uh, names them. Then we have Jesus healing specifically a person with leprosy. Um, we have another moment, Jesus not only healing, but forgiving. In this moment, the Pharisees and the experts in the law kind of go after him because they're like, who is this that, that thinks they can forgive? Only God can forgive. Like This person's uh, blaspheming. Um, then we have Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors. This is that moment that he mentioned in the passage that he's, he's, uh, they go after him and accuse him of being a glutton because he's uh, eating with sinners and, and also just eating with the wrong people. Um, and then uh, Jesus heals on the Sabbath, which also gets him in a ton of trouble with the Pharisees because not, he's not supposed to be doing things on the Sabbath. Now, I ran out of room for my dots um, up there, so there's a couple more. Um, he uh, institutes this complete upheaval of the systems of the world through his preaching of the Beatitudes uh, and his new normal of loving your enemies, not judging others, as, as those is the foundation of how this new community of his is supposed to live and behave. He's also healed a centurion, a member of the Roman army, uh, who would have been considered unclean, and he raises a widow's son from the dead. And so, John gets this report, and there's quite a lot. And there's a lot in there for John. There's some good that probably matches up exactly with his ideas and expectations of who the Messiah should be. But then there's a lot that's probably causing him a bit of trouble. Right? Is the Messiah really the one? Maybe it seemed like it would be easier. Maybe I thought the Messiah would show up and everything would just kind of click into place. But this doesn't feel like anything's clicking. Jesus talked about freeing uh, people who are in prison. I'm kind of in prison right now and I'm not free. Um, and, and there's all this stuff happening. So maybe in this moment, which is probably a low moment for John, he's asking some questions. And I think that makes complete sense. I don't know if you've ever been in a low moment. And sometimes you start asking questions. I wonder where Jesus is in the midst of all of this. I wonder if Jesus is really who he said he was. Maybe I have a misunderstanding of who Jesus is. I need to adjust. But we start asking questions. What Luke does here is he establishes that there is space for doubt. For questions, for hard questions. Questions about Jesus' identity. But what's also striking about this is it's not just somebody asking a question about Jesus' identity. This is John the Baptist. The one who was sent to prepare the way. An agent of God. It's Jesus' own relative. It's a prophet of God. And this question about Jesus' identity, are you the one or should we wait for another, comes from someone who at least we feel like, I think I feel like, should know. Well, John can't go on his own. He's in prison. So he asked two of his disciples to go and present this question to Jesus. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? What we read next is that at this very moment, Jesus heals people, Cast out evil spirits. It says, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. 
Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Notice, Jesus does not say, yeah, go tell John I'm the one. He knows this, right? It may not look like it, but don't worry. I've got everything under control. And Jesus doesn't go into a big theological proof to show that he's the Messiah. Instead, he says, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. And he goes into this list of things that should sound somewhat familiar to us. Right? And so we have a passage from Isaiah 6, 1, uh, 1 and 2a, uh, and then... Um, what Jesus says in this moment. And this is a passage Jesus quoted in Luke 4, right? The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then here he says, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And so you can see that Jesus is saying, go tell John, I'm doing exactly what I said I was going to do. I'm doing exactly what I've been anointed to do. But it's not just this moment in Isaiah 61. Because he's also pulling from Isaiah 29. On that day, the deaf will hear the words of the scroll and go out, and out of a gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. Once more, the humble will rejoice in the Lord. The needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. He's going on to Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 42. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Hear, you deaf, look, you blind, and see. This guy, uh, his name is Heinz Schumann, um, and he says that Jesus' description of his ministry is in form a symphony of Isaiahic echoes and in substance a festival of salvation. I've never heard festival of salvation. I've never heard those words put together like that. But when I read it, something stirred in me. Festival of salvation, a, a festival. This is what Jesus taught. Go back and tell John. There's a festival of salvation happening. And Jesus is showing that he's doing exactly what the Holy Spirit anointed him to do. And so Jesus digs back into the prophets. And in doing so, both says and reveals that he is the fulfillment of the prophecy from Isaiah that he quoted before. And this would be significant to John because John himself is identified as a prophet. If we go all the way back to Luke 1, nope, I don't think I put that one in there. That's my bad. Anyways, I'll read it. Uh, Luke 1, 17, uh, that, that John will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So he's seen, and he himself has probably heard that throughout his life. Because that's what was said about him before he was even born. And so this language of preparing people, preparing the way for the Lord, has been in his world, part of his ethos since the beginning. And so Jesus goes back to Isaiah, which for John may have been significant, because not only is he a prophet, 
but it's also the book that talks about the one sent to prepare the way. And this is that passage in Isaiah 29, 18, and 19. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand a double for all her sins. The voice of one calling in the wilderness, a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That's actually the wrong reference at the bottom. It's Isaiah 41 through 5. So Jesus, in telling John's disciples to report back to him what they have seen and heard, reaffirms John as a prophet. So it reaffirms for John both who he is and who Jesus is. Because I wonder if there's a sense for John in this that not only is he wondering if Jesus is the one, but maybe he's kind of wondering, how did I not get this? Did I not see something? Again, he's in a low moment. Maybe he's feeling like, what did I do? What, I, how could I have missed this? And so Jesus, in the midst of this festival of salvation, restores unto John both John's own identity and Jesus' identity. And then Jesus moves from this to challenging this crowd that is there. And he starts by affirming John as a prophet. Now, this might be because if the people have been around while this is happening, there may have been people who overheard the conversation. Oh, John? John the Baptist? He's wondering about things? And so Jesus affirms John as a prophet. Even points out, none of you went out to see anything but a prophet. You know he's a prophet. You went out to see him. You were baptized. You participated in his baptism. But sometimes... When we hear that someone who maybe we think of as kind of a leader or a celebrity might be questioning something, we start to wonder, are they still with us? Are they still part of our team? Are they still? And so we don't often leave leaders a lot of room to ask these difficult questions. But Jesus assures them, no, no, John's a prophet. In fact, he's more than a prophet. He's the one that's spoken about in Isaiah that is to prepare the way, the one who was sent before me, the one who's preparing the way for the Messiah. And that Messiah is now present. And we're told that because of this, everyday people, the people who were there, not the Pharisees, not the, the experts in the law, the people who are there and the tax collectors. you got to remember the tax collectors, lots of times they, they'll refer to sinners and tax collectors because tax collectors are seen as like a special branch of sinner. right? They're so bad that they have to have their own separate. They can't, that's not enough to just include them in there. It's like whenever the Bible mentions Judas, even if it's in the, the moment when Judas is called, it's always Judas the betrayer. Judas the, Judas the one who betrayed Jesus. Sinners and tax collectors. There's this moment that says, and tax collectors were coming, and everyone was acknowledging that God's way was right. And then the Pharisees and the experts in the law are there, and they're seen as rejecting God's way and rejecting Jesus. He finishes with a 
challenge through comparing um, a comparison as he likens the, the generation of people to children playing games in the marketplace. And I don't think this is meant in a demeaning way. I think it's just Jesus' illustration. But he says it's like a group of children who are playing, and, and you've got this group who's, they're kind of making the rules. They're deciding the games to be played, and uh, Jesus and John aren't playing. At least not playing the way they want them to or the games they want them to. Right? He says, we played the pipe, but you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not cry. You didn't do what we expected or wanted you to do. And that's led to them being rejected. But in both of these, it's interesting to me that both Jesus and John are being rejected for doing the very things they've been called to do. The very things, the very acts, the very movements that God has set up for them and sent them to do. So we have this moment where lots of people, including John, have certain expectations about Jesus, and then for John, even certain expectations about himself that maybe aren't being lived out. And so John asks, are you the one? Have you ever asked Jesus, oh, are you really going to be able to help me in this situation? Are you the one? Or should I look for someone else? Look for something else. Jesus responds by affirming John's identity as a prophet, not by saying, remember, you're the one they talked about in Isaiah, but by showing John, rekindling, reawakening his heart, his imagination to the reality that he once walked in. And I don't know about you, but I find there are times when I'm in a low moment, sometimes what Jesus does is takes me back to some moment in the past and something gets rekindled, something gets renewed, something is, it's like it starts fresh. Because sometimes my own expectations, depending on the day, depending on the, the movements of the culture, depending on lots of things, can start to move off track a little bit. And sometimes I need to go, ah, oh, Jesus. Where are you in this? And Jesus will reaffirm who I am and also who he is. And I think as we're moving into this, you know, we've, we've talked about moving through this Lenten or uh, through this ordinary time heading into Lent. And we're going to be entering a time where we're going to be asking some questions. We, we looked at those three words, the, the rename, restore, and resurrect. Right? And, and, and we're going to take those through Lent and we're going we're to work through those together. What are the things in our lives, in the life of the church that God's asking us? What are the things we're hearing about? What things need to be renamed, restored? What things need to be resurrected? What directions do we want to be moving in as the church? So we're going to be asking some hard questions. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up, so I want to invite the worship team back up. I also want to let you know, uh, in a few moments, I'm going to ask um, a couple questions, um, and, and we'll have some time. The worship team will, will play through uh, instrumentally, give us some time to reflect on that, um, and then we'll, we'll close with song and a prayer. But I want to talk real quickly about our own expectations, 
Who or what do we want or expect Jesus to be? Earlier, we sang songs about um, Jesus uh, is, is so big that our words can never describe him. That God is so big that we can't capture our ideas, just they can't contain who God is. And I think that's absolutely true. But there's nothing that ever says we can't try. I think about uh, when, when my kids were younger. I think this is the same for a lot of kids. Uh, you know, when, when a child says to their parent, I love you, we know somewhere in us that well, you're just learning what that even means. Right? You're just you're growing and you're discovering this. And, but there's something about when they say it, we receive it in a way that, 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 that changes us, it moves us. And this can be from anyone, a friend, it could be from a parent, like any, and as we're moving through life, we know, ah, yeah, you, you're growing in what that means. And so I think for God, when we say, I love you, when we say, I want to follow you, God knows we don't know exactly what we're saying. But I think he delights in hearing it. I think he delights in any movement we make towards him. I think God delights in our attempts to get to know him. So we shouldn't be afraid to try. But we also have to know that we're learning and growing. And so we might have expectations where God might have to say, ah, I love that you're trying. Here. And, and like Jesus says, let me show you. Let me show you who I am. Let's move in this way. Right? I'm not going to make you read a big paper or anything like that, but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to show you. Walk with me. Will you come and see who I am? And in doing so, we discover then also who we are. So I just want to end with that. I have these questions I want to ask, but I, I just, this moment I see with Jesus, where he takes these expectations that different people have, and he says, come and see, come and walk with me, come, come and see, and then report, right, or, or, or just, here's, here's who I am. And I just wonder if we need some time and space to do that with the Lord. So my questions for today, Uh, what expectations do you have regarding who Jesus is and how Jesus should be moving in the world? Now, these questions, they might not be ones you come up with an answer with just like off the top of your head. So these are designed to take them with you, answer them over the next week or so. Um, but yeah, what expectations do you have regarding who Jesus is? What expectations do you have regarding who the church is and how the church should be living out the love and life of Jesus? Right? How, how should we be doing things? And that could be Big C Church, Church Universal, or it could be One Life. Probably not about other churches that we don't go to. That's, I mean, maybe that's the Big C Church, but let's not name names. Right? We can name One Life and Big C Church. That'll be safe. Um, and then what expectations do you have for yourself? How you should be living out the love and life of Jesus. Sometimes we are our own harshest critics, or we have really huge expectations on ourselves that it's just not realistic for us to do. Maybe we don't have high enough expectations. But maybe if we take those to Jesus, we can allow him 
to shape who we are and who we know him to be. And then lastly, is there something Jesus is speaking to you about any of those expectations? Could be all of them, could be one of them. You might say, nope. Um, but but whatever, uh, wherever you're at. Um, and so uh, take some time to think on that. If you want to, if you do have answers, you can put them on those connection cards and get those to us. We'd love to hear from you. Um, and it's a, it's a great way for us to kind of know where everyone's at and how stuff is going. So let me pray, and then uh, we'll, we'll have that time to reflect, and then we'll close with a song and a benediction. Jesus, I give you great thanks that in this moment with, with John, who he's not in a moment of like turning against you. He's in a moment of, I don't know. God, that you just show him. Right? You don't give him a, a, a big, long thing that is super difficult to figure out. or You just say, go, go, go tell John what, what you've seen and what you've heard. And then you let John continue on his journey. You let John put that together. You let John come back with more questions. Or you let John, right? But you, you let John move in the ways that John needs to. And Lord, I'm so thankful that in that moment, you, you know just the right way to, to move with him. You bring him back. Yeah, tell him. Tell him what you've seen and heard. And oh yeah, doesn't it sound a lot like Isaiah? John remembers Isaiah. He's probably steeped in Isaiah. So stirs in him. I pray, Spirit, you would stir in us. Whatever it is that needs to be stirred in order to bring us closer to you. That we may live out your love and life in this world in ways in ways that both bring us closer to you and just love and care for and share who you are with the people around us. I pray all this in your name, Lord. Amen.